he asked. I would like, if I may, to show it to a gentleman of my acquaintance who will be interested that it was created by a boy of seven. After Dr. Adair went, the neighbor woman brought his sisters back. She inspected Rook and said loudly, as if he were deaf or a dog, Yes, he looks clever, don't he? Rook felt the hairs on his head standing up with the heat of his blush. Whether it was because he was stupid or clever, it added up to the same thing, the misery of being out of step with the world. When he turned eight, Dr. Adair offered the bursary. It was just words, a place at the Portsmouth Naval Academy. The boy thought it could not be too different from the life he knew, went along blithely, and hardly waved goodbye to his father at the gate. The first night there, he lay rigid in the dark, too shocked to cry. The other boys established that his father was a clerk, who went every day to the squat stone building near the docks, where the Office of Ordnance ran its affairs. In the world of Church Street, Benjamin Rook was a man of education and standing, a father to be proud of. At the Portsmouth Naval Academy, a mile away, he was an embarrassment. A clerk! Oh, dearie me! A boy took everything out of his trunk. The shirts and underthings his mother and grandmother had so carefully made and hurled them through the window into the muddy yard, three flights below. A man in a billowing black gown caught Rook painfully by the ear and hit him with a cane when he tried to say that he had not done it. A big boy sat him up on a high wall out behind the kitchens and poked him with a stick until he was forced to jump down. His ankles still hurt from the fall, but that was not the pain at his heart. His attic in Church Street wrapped its corners and angles around him, the shape of his own odd self. At the academy, the cold space of the bleak dormitory sucked out his spirit and left a shell behind. Walking from the academy back to Church Street every Saturday evening to spend Sunday at home was a journey between one world and another that wrenched him out of shape each time. His mother and father were so proud, so warm with pleasure that their clever son had been singled out that he could not tell them how he felt. His grandmother might have understood, but he could not find the words to tell even her how he had lost himself. When it came time for him to walk back, Anne held his hand with both hers, pulling at him with all her child's weight and crying for him to stay. She was not yet five, but somehow knew that he longed to remain anchored in the hallway. His father peeled her fingers away one by one and shooed him out the door, waving and smiling, so that Rook had to wave too and put a grin on his face. All the way up the street, he could hear Anne wailing and his nan trying to comfort her. Many great men had received their educations at the academy, but no one there was excited by the numbers he learned to call primes. Nor were they interested when he showed them the notebook where he was trying to work the square root of two, or how you could play with pi and arrive at surprising results. Rook learned at last that true cleverness was to hide such thoughts, they became a kind of shame, a secret thing to be indulged only in private. Conversation was a problem he could not solve. If no answer seemed necessary to a remark, he said nothing. Before he learned, he had unwittingly rebuffed several overtures, 
Then it was too late. At other times he talked too much. In response to some remark about the weather, he might wax enthusiastic about the distribution of rainfall in Portsmouth. He would share the fact that he had been keeping a record of it, that he had a jar on the windowsill on which he had scratched calibrations. Of course, when he was home on Sundays, he took the jar with him, but the windowsill there was somewhat more exposed to the prevailing southwesterly wind than the one at the academy, and therefore got more rain. By this time, whoever had commented on it being a fine day was sidling away. He yearned to be a more ordinary sort of good fellow, but was helpless to be other than he was. He came to hate the boastful cupola on the roof of the academy, its proud golden globe, hated the white stone corners that hemmed in the bricks of the façade. The portico of the main doorway seemed too narrow for its grandiose culture.